All right, big hour ahead. Uh, we're going to catch up with Ken Laban because he's a Kiwis Kangaroos test match in the league. There's an All Blacks South African finale this Sunday, and there's also big news coming out yesterday uh, with the World Rugby New Global Calendar. And I know our next guest, Ken Laban, will be all over that. Morena to you, Ken. How you doing? Yeah, very good, thank you. Hey, welcome in, mate. Um, we'll, we'll touch on that, that news yesterday. I just read out the statement released by Lima Sapuanga. He is disappointed. I know you'll be feeling those effects as well. Yes, exactly. Like, um, you know, who, if they want to grow the game, who's been exposed to Tier 1 and, uh, and who is it? And that's the bottom line. If you're not, you know, as they say, it's not at the table, you're on the menu. And um, that's it. That's, that's the issue and that's the challenge. You know, when the walk doesn't match the talk, hey, you know, they all say that we need to do more for Pakistan rugby, we need more to grow, we need to create more opportunities, we need to share the resources, we need to share opportunities for them to play at the elite level and then they go and expand and establish these competitions and leave them out. So, um, again, I suppose that's just the reality when you're a small country and you're not represented at the table, you're not making this... You're not part of the decision process, um, and they've been left to lament in tier two, which obviously is not going to help them um, help them grow. Because you know, to be good, you have to play the All Blacks in South Africa um, and England and all those big teams as often as you can. So, you know how they propose to bridge that gap, and whether or not it's done deliberately as well. You know, like for a long time, you know now as you, you have a look across all of the tier one nations, and it's already loaded with um, Samoa and Tongan and Fijian players that were taken at academy levels or, you know, taken out of rugby league and brought into the various um, programs and whether they think that by admitting them to the competition, they're potentially putting their own reputations and, you know, their own status at risk, um, you know, who would know? But, you know, I do think that's a reflection of the fact that they're just not represented at the um, at the table, which I think is it's very very disappointing. So you know you look behind, you know you look behind the glitz and the glamour, um, and it looks like it's fantastic. But the reality is, you know, if, um, if you're a Samoan player or Tongan player and you want to play at the elite level, where you've now, you've just been denied the opportunity, and who knows when that decision and the makeup of those competitions is going to be reviewed and are they going to have promotion relegation? All we do know at this stage. Is if they're not part of it. Mm, Twenty thirty, apparently promotion relegation, but that is just hearsay at the moment. What are you, what are the concerns for you in ta- in terms of these Pacific teams when we get to 2030, uh, sorry, where they could be and, and what kind of state the rugby in the islands could be at? Well, firstly, if you're playing on the big stage, then um, from a revenue point of view, from a sponsorship. Um, point of view, then there's an attraction for the global um, corporates to be involved with your program. And obviously, you know, your, the old story, um, you know, money might not be everything, but can solve a lot of problems. Um, and in terms of facilities, your ability to pay coaches, your ability to attract um, quality players and quality personnel and put a world-class program um, and place all of that is dependent on um, dependent on resources. One thing that the islands do have is they have the raw talent. What they don't have is they don't have the economies 
um, and they don't have the level of sponsorship and revenue that allows them to be um, to be able to compete at that um, at that top level. So, you know, you you imagine if someone like Ian Foster who will become available at um, half past ten on Sunday morning to the highest bidder, you imagine if um, Samoa was part of that tier one uh, nation was serious about going going forward and they had the resources to put an off in front of Ian Foster to come and coach Samoa for the next five years. Imagine what impact that would have. And then behind that, you know, they had the necessary sponsorship to um, to put together and assemble a world-class coaching team, management team, conditioning team, backed up by a quality world-class roster. All of that that I've just outlined has been denied because of the fact they haven't been admitted to the elite competition. So, you know, nobody's going to tell me that this is a decision that benefits the Pacific Nations because it doesn't. So, so like you, Ken, you, you can sit there and you can see what it looks like in the future, um, but there seems to be a bottleneck, and that bottleneck is money because they're trying to keep the money in and around what they've got at the moment and, crea- and, and create uh, those players funneling through to their sides. And the representation, when you talk about it, and, and you were part of it in 91 when we took the NZRL to court, was it's a very similar situation. You needed someone with the courage to take on the, the powers that wanted all the cash. Do we have anyone in the Pacific? You know, Lima Sopoang has come out and put it right there for everyone to see what has is happening in, as far as the, the islands go. Is there anyone that says this is not on, will actually take you on? Well, probably um, the most powerful, um, the most powerful people in the um, in the Pacific, Tui Lapa, who was the Prime Minister of Samoa for 25 years and is president of um, of Mani Samoa, he's a formidable uh, personality. But he's in his mid to late 70s um, now. Not that I, not that I'm being ageist, but you know he's a phenomenal administrator and um, and leader. Um, Frank Bainey Marama, who loves his rugby, is another powerful leader in Fiji, but they've, they've, they've already been admitted and going to be included, so um, that's fine, and I wouldn't be surprised if he has been um, a lot closer to it, and the fact that the Fiji and Rua have already been part of, um, of Super Rugby, and financially they've always been pretty well served with good sponsorship, Fiji, they may well have been factors, but for teams like Samoa and Tonga, by comparison, who haven't, uh, who haven't had that opportunity. Bearing in mind, you know, Samoa's population is uh, 200,000, the size of the Hutt Valley. It's a tiny mm. dot in the Pacific. So for them to be able to get a fair go uh, on a thing, they have to be included at that elite level because that's what brings, as you say, Kempi, that's what brings the global, the global support. So what will happen now is that money that previously could have gone to nations that, given the opportunity, could be competitive at a tier one level, that money will stay in England and Ireland and Australia and Wales and France, which is which is great. But you know, it's not like they need any help, is it? No, it's it's. Uh, look, where do, where do you see? Because there's such a such a correlation here, Ken. You you see Tonga currently touring up in England with um, playing the English Samoa in this Pacific Championship and uh, and Hainan, your son, is managing that Samoan side. What are the correlations between Rugby League and Rugby Union as far as Pacific is concerned at the moment? Well, Tonga's the best example um, that you can use. And I think from a personnel, from a personnel 
uh, point of view, the two players that deserve the most credit is Jason Tomahawk and Andrew Fafita. They were the two, as you know, made that two of them. You know, when they first made that decision to um, to play for Ponga and not play for Australia or New Zealand, they were, you know, what was Jason Tomahawk? He was the first player in over 30 years outside the spine to win the Dally M. And um, Fafita at his peak was the best prop in the game. And those two boys made a high-profile decision um, to switch. They started, um, they started, as you know, that, you know, they were the ones, they were the foundation stone for a number of those high-profile players that have now followed suit. And Tonga, who were exposed to elite competition, they were exposed to a level of sponsorship and revenue, which allowed the players to get paid the same amount of money that they would if they played for Australia. Initially, those boys had to make an enormous um, sacrifice. Now all their pay is on a par, um, and some will have just followed suit in, uh, in the last 12 months with the team they took um, uh, to the World Cup, and, um, and the team has just wrapped up a couple of um, a couple of games recently. And bearing in mind there are seven Samoans in the Kiwis, and there are four Samoans in the um, in the Australian team. Um, as well, so you know everybody. Everybody that's in the game can see that that what the potential is is limited by your imagination. So, you know, if they get exposure to high level and bring a high profile um, team, well, then all of the sponsorship and revenue will follow. So there is a great correlation, and Tonga is the best example um, of that. I'm surprised, to be honest. I'm surprised. The world rugby didn't didn't have a look at that model before making the decision who was going to be allowed in to these new elite competitions. Yeah, hence the hence the um, question: Is there someone here that can actually take um, take that stance and make make them look at it? Um, talking about talking about the Pacific Nations, some some while last week, obviously Brian Toto was out and they've had a, a struggle through their spine. Um, Australia beat them, New Zealand beat them. Uh, they play this week. Do you think uh, that? Romance of Australia playing New Zealand is still a, still around, Ken, or is it just a, another game of rugby league? Oh, no, I think you know. I think that I think the romance and history um, will always ensure that the integrity of the competition between Australia and New Zealand um, is, all, is always going to be there. Um, and you're right about you know you're right about Samoa. That kid, Fatlong, uh, he's a, he's an exciting kid, but he's played one NRL game. You know the hookers played. The hookers played two, and they didn't have Jerome or Milford, who they will have next year. You know, so obviously they were weakened um, as a result. But everybody can see what the potential. You know, I think looking at the last weekend sport amongst, you know, amongst the many highlights to celebrate. Um, firstly, is the crowd that turned up for Taranaki and Hawks Bay in the NPC final, eleven and a half thousand, and then twenty three thousand at Eden Park for um, for Samoa. Against um, against the Kiwis, and if you're looking for if you're looking for what impact uh, the, the so-called tiny nations can have, and the so-called smaller provinces um, can have in sport, well, you know those are the two best examples. You know, I thought they they were both reflection of the fact that the you know the potential for both sports to continue to grow is exciting, and I think you know in in a lot of ways, even though I come from Wellington, I'm thrilled that Hawks Bay won the Shield. I commentated a couple. Hawks Bay games this year, they had 10,500 for one game um, and 6,500 for the other, and Taranaki had wonderful crowds, so for those two teams to play in the uh, in the NPC in front of terrific support, um, I thought was terrific.
Can, can I just touch on, Kenny, um, about, because you talk about uh, the Australians and the Samoans that are playing still in that side, but what about the Kiwis? And you have the likes um, of our upper hut giant, uh, Nelson Asifa Solomona, saying that he can't wait to throw the blue jersey on. Is is the you know Pacific a real threat to um, this iconic legacy that the Kiwis have? Well, I think the answer to that is yes. Um, like every, everybody's connected to their families, um, and I don't, you know, I don't mean to be patronising or condescending in, in any way. But Nelson Solomon, a lot of those kids that were born and raised in New Zealand or born and raised um, in Australia, but they, um, but essentially they're children of the migration um, from the Pacific. Um, they're always going to have that connection, that whānau and that whakapapa um, connection to their families and the history of their families, and that's always going to be that's always going to be the attraction point. And um, for Nelson and for Nelson's dad um, and his mum, and they're both um, you know they're they're both Samoan. Um, it would be you know once you've done it. I suppose the best example I can think of is. I remember Wayne Bennett. They showed the clip of Wayne Bennett recruiting Jesse Bromwich to go to the um, to go to the Dolphins, and um, one of the key selling points for Jesse was that Wayne Bennett made the point to Jesse that you've already done everything in the game, um, but you're a multiple winner of um, of the NRL. You've played at you've played at the highest level. Here's a chance for you to give something back to um, the game in the last two years of your playing career. It's a very similar example to the Pacifica boys, to the Times, the Samoans, the Fijians and the Papua New Guinea kids, even though they might have been born and raised in Australia or New Zealand come up through the pathways, they are still connected to their families and they're still connected to their ancestry. So, you know, now that there's an opportunity for so many good players to all play together, you know, Stephen Crichton, for example, who many of us regard as the top centre in the game, he was born in Samoa. Um, you know, the Pulatua family, that, that whole Pacific Island thing at, um, at Penrith, that was started by the Pulatua parents in the 90s because the father was a church minister and he set up the Afakasa Church in Mount Druitt. And that attracted all of those Samoan families to come into um, to Penrith and then to come into St Mary's and come in and play in the juniors. And now they're a three-time winner of the NRL, mm. and those Samoan boys feel that strong sense of obligation. The same way we have with the, you know, with the establishment of the um, of the of the Maori team and the connection that everybody feels in that sense of pride to do something that acknowledges and recognises their whakapapa. So I think the you know obviously the Pacific Island, uh, once having been as around as long as the in, indigenous uh, um, Maori teams. Um, we have, but nonetheless, it's exactly the same philosophy. Ken, just just on that, um, are you concerned with the constant chopping and changing back and forth from from teams? I know there was one player that played for Samoa at the World Cup, and then he's gone back and played for other Kiwis Australia, and then he's probably going to potentially go back and play for Samoa. Is that concerning? How would we negate that happening constantly? Well, you're never going to um, you're never going to change that. Like for example. Mark Tulfour, um, ex-Quinella Sharks and ex-Newcastle Knights, um, the player, his nephew is Payne Haas. And, um, you know, Payne's, uh, Payne's Samoan. They're very, very close. And Mark is, Mark is the mentor and the, um, and the advisor. 
Um, if you were Mel Meninga, and everybody regards Payne Haas as the number one prop in, um, in rugby league, there's no way in the world that you would want to lose um, Payne Haas to, um, to Samoa. And the same with Madge, with Michael Maguire. There's no way he'd want to lose Nelson Asofa-Solomona from, um, from the Kiwis to play for, um, for Samoa. But the reality of what you're dealing with is that, you know, we talk about that strong sense of um, whakapapa versus chopping, you know, like the chopping and changing. Things tries to, it tries to paint the players as if there's some sort of flakes because they change between one team or another. But one thing that's never changed is their whakapapa. And um, so sometimes I feel that gets a little bit lost in the debate. And I remember a few years ago, Phil Gould making the point that in his view, that, um, that the Pacific Nations in Papua New Guinea should have the last pick of um, the elite players for their international sides. And um, uh, the smaller nations, Samoa, Fiji, they all should all have the first pick to ensure that the best players are on show at the key, at the key tournament. So there are plenty of players to, um, to go around and even if Payne Haas did go to um, to Samoa, there'd be another prop in Australia that would step up. Mm. And Lima Sopoanga, well, you know, the All Blacks haven't suffered with Lima Sopoanga playing for Banu Samoa, have they, in any way? You know, he hasn't really been hasn't really been used. So I do think that the um, you know that that perspective and that argument is a little bit redundant. Yeah, awesome, Ken. Hey, thanks a lot for imparting your knowledge on uh, SENZ this morning, Kenny. It was fantastic. Uh, we're right behind that Pacifica model, and hopefully uh, we have someone that actually is going to stand up here and take it, take them on. Uh, go well today, mate. We'll talk to you soon. That's Kenny Laban joining thanks, us this Ken. morning. Uh, you need a new mobile worry, plan? Well, visit Kogan Mobile. You're listening to Izzy and Kippy for breakfast. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse, keeping you healthy this spring.